apparently for pleasure and dancing but he started putting constructive messages in his quieter music so you know when when that song plays or i hear about mendoza you know it's like it's like a uniting type of feeling it's a sound for me that i can just see everybody start dancing together and about two weeks ago my twitter feed started exploding about mendoza and um, we heard that his cancer has returned he had brain cancer and the family said please country pray with, pray with us because they thought or they felt that the prayers would, would uplift the situation. Um, things that his wife said um, in the media, it's not his time yet, all right? And things said like um, he's going to come back again because he has been, um, you know, struggling with cancer for a few years. And I, when I read these things in Twitter, I remember myself gritting my teeth and I'm getting this, you know, this feeling at the bottom of my stomach, you know, and, and I'm just thinking, oh, you know, death is really a shitty thing. That was what I was thinking. And um, on the 18th of September, last Sunday, the rhythm of Nkalakata changed forever because Mendoza passed away last Sunday. And um, if you think of it, in our modern day, you know, when, when death, you know, faces us or we, we get, you know, to know or, you know, face death or we hear about death, it actually rocks and disturbs the rhythm of life completely in the modern world. Um, and I'm also busy reading Pierre's book, you know, um, and there's a chapter there about the, the smell of myrrh. And myrrh was used with dead bodies. And the whole time Pierre is, is speaking to me through his book, I'm sort of saying amen the whole time to his idea around death. And, um, but the, for the first time, I realized while I was reading his book that the biblical people and even people up to 60 years ago, with, with a, death was part and parcel of their life. Death was there the whole time. And I, I, it just blows my mind because how did they cope with this day in and day out? Because if you read Pierre's book, he says, you know, if a small child reached the age of five, it was a miracle. It was a miracle that kids got to that age. All right, now from that age up until the age of 20, that was the life expectancy. So if you reached 20, hey man, that was a double miracle. And you were sort of in your pension life already, you know, because by that time you already married at 13 and, you know, your kids were born already. So part and parcel of their lives. And um, I just really, really wondered how did they, how did they cope? day in and day out with this and I recently met a Jew and um, he was here for a, for a course for the last two months and um, he was here for a self-defense course or something and his instructor was a fellow Jew that was with him in the in the Jewish forces and in this time that he was here his instructor's wife's um, um, dad passed away and um, we just talked about it, and I said, um, you know, so uh, is everything all right? There he goes, yeah, 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 the mourners are there. There must be minimum 10 people, you know, at the Jews' house. And immediately I thought, but there's 12 tribes in Israel. Why must there be 10? So I was, I was you know, querying, why, why just 10? What, why minimum 10? What's the thing about 10? And what I didn't know is this guy had sort of a direct line to his rabbi. He stayed in, in Spain, 
direct line to his rabbi. His rabbi's name is Irachmiel Baralka. Doesn't that sound amazing? Irachmiel Baralka. And after two voice notes, we got the answer. Okay, and it went like this. He actually takes it takes it back to where Moses got to the promised land. It's, it's Numbers 13, and he sent 12 spies into the promised land to go and see what's going on there. The 12 spies being the 12 tribes, from each, each from uh, a tribe. And then you know the story. Two came back and said, this is an amazing place. And 10 came back with doom and gloom. Okay, and said, nah, no, they're going to kill us. This is not like a place and everything like that. So apparently the, f the fact that there must be Ten, a, a minimum of 10 mourners at your house, it, it reminds the Jews of that lesson they learned, you know, of the doom and gloom lesson. So it was quite interesting. So anyway, I'm sitting with the Jews, so now I want to find out how does the Jews handle death? What is their tradition or their process? And again, two voice notes to Irachmiel Baralka, the rabbi, and um, the, the Jews till this day do the following. In the first 24 hours, they must get the body and the close, close, close family must wash the body. And they feel it's the highest honor to do this because the person that is dead cannot give them anything back. So you're just serving the person and they feel that's the highest honor. And then once that is done, um, like uh, the Spaniard explained to me, he had broken English, he said then they cover the, the body with soil. So in other words, you know, they, they uh, put the body in the ground. And then the Shiva starts. Now Shiva uh, is, is in, in Hebrew means seven. So the first seven days start. And apparently in the first three days they do not pray. But the, you know, the family and the friends visit the house. And, um, and then after the first three days, they start praying what they call the Targumim prayer. And this prayer is to elevate the soul of the dead. And, but in this time also, the close family must avoid any happy um, places or ceremonies. Say, for instance, there was a bar mitzvah organized. They don't go there. And also, apparently, the males in the close family start growing their beards. So that, that is happening. And they start also going to the synagogue every day and pray the the Targumim prayer, okay. And then after one month, the whole family comes back to the synagogue. It's again a big occasion, and they pray again and remember the, the person that has passed. And after that, the close family daily does daily visits to the synagogue praying for um, the soul of the dead, a dead person. And then after one year, the family comes back again. A massive thing is held in a synagogue and then according to law, and their law is the, the, the Torah, the five, first five books of the Old Testament is the Torah. The Torah says to them, or according to the law, they say to them that have been um, in grief now for a year, you can now continue with your life. So that is, that is the, the tradition of the Jews. And I've personally lost both my parents. And this process or this timeline of the tradition makes a lot of sense to me, but I'll, I'll get back to that slightly later. So obviously today I'm going to talk about death, but there's three aspects of death I want to talk about. The first aspect is the actual person that died. The second aspect of death is the extremely close people that did life with the person that passed. And the third aspect of death is me and you sitting here that's got, I call it an ebb and flow rhythm 
with the people that passed or with the people that were close to the person that passed. So we've got an ebb and flow, but you've got a, a relationship with, these, with, with the people. So that's the three aspects of death that I'm just going to talk about today. The first aspect, I'm not going to say much because the first aspect is now the actual person that has passed. And just to, to say I'm very mindful of any, everybody sitting in front of me here. I know you've gone through experiences, maybe you've gone through uh, experience where you lost someone or you've never ha uh, you had that experience. So I will speak to both of you, all right? But anyway, the first aspect is the person that has passed away. And, and, and guess what, I, I, don't, I don't want to be funny here, but you can do nothing anymore. The person is gone. The person is gone. You, you, the moment the person has passed, you, you can do nothing anymore. So I'm not going to go into um, were their souls saved or anything like that. That's a sermon or teaching for another time. But the thing I want to tell you that's sitting here, that's still alive and kicking, it is that every time I hear about someone dying, it reminds me to become mindful with whoever is in my life, who's doing life with me, and to cherish moments, to create moments, um, sort of living in the moment. I've got a friend of mine, we studied together years ago, her name is Chrai. And about 2013, she was diagnosed with cancer, and it was quite a tough cancer. It's, it's, in, her, it's in her spine, and they gave her five years. Now, Chrai's got a husband, Murray, and two daughters. This year, the daughters, the eldest one is a matric, and the other one is grade, e, grade 10. That's standard eight in the old terms. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, um, and... When, when this broke, she, you know, she went through you know, the chemo and all those things, but I started noticing something about Hrana. Hrana still does half Ironmans with me. She jogs with me. You know, she, she's one of those, those people that you think, how does she, you know, she just, you know, she goes. And we would, we would be jogging in Brooklyn, and she would be the one saying, oh my goodness, look how beautiful the trees look today. And you sort of, out of your, out of your oh, you know, you're tired now, and you just look and you appreciate the moment. More and more weekends, they went away, Maria and herself. She organized photo sessions. When we were at Plet with her on holiday, she's always got her camera with her taking photos, you know. And there was a softness and an enduring type of thing that started growing into Chrai because she's a, she's a tough lady, you know. And I, I just saw her and Marie's relationship change to, you know, it's beautiful. But... On the 31st of August, this is now less than a month ago, Murray passed away of swine flu, like this, within two or three days. Now, all of us around them doing life with them, this was, it was a train wreck in our brains because the pecking order was now different. I mean, Chrai was going to die in about two years' time, then Murray is there, he can look after the kids, and, and this, this, is, this is not on, okay? So it was unexpected. And, um, but while sitting at his funeral, which was fantastic, there was more than 700 people there. It was just a phenomenon. It was just a celebration of his life. I remembered this intentional life that I, that I experienced and saw with Chrai and Murray. And I just thought, that's it. 
But my question is, why must someone get cancer before you get intentional? Why can't we be intentional with a normal, ordinary time? And just a tip for you, become intentional with the people you do life with. It helps your sanity when you are left behind. Take that tip from me. Okay, create intentional moments constantly. It'll help you to stay sane once they leave. And that's it that I want to say about the first aspect. The second aspect of death is the people who did life with the person that passed. Now, these people's rhythm of life has forever been severed. Severed. You know what that means. It's like, it's not just a cut, it's a cut and it's a tear. Forever. Their rhythm of life have been severed. Life as they know it will never be the same. One second it's like this, the next second severed. And um, they move into what you would call a liminal space. Now, if you're also busy reading Pierre's book, he talks about liminal space. But I just want to give you a definition of liminal space. It is when you have left the tried and true. That's quite cool. I, I like that. It's when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. All right, so everything was blue. You go into liminal space and there's all no colors or it's just too much colors or it's black or I don't know what. But there's, you, you haven't moved on to a lighter blue rhythm again. You're there, you're in the middle, there's nothing. All right, that's liminal space. So you move into this severed rhythm of life. You're in liminal space. Now this is where the Jewish tradition of the timeline that the seven days, the one month, the one year makes a hell of a lot of sense. I'll tell you why. It's also when, when, when I lost my mom one year and a few years later I lost my dad. It literally takes you more than a year to just get going again. You go with life, you, you know, it sort of just happens automatically, but after you, you feel human again. So I quite enjoy the, the Jews' tradition of that timeline because it's, it's quite realistic. It's quite realistic. And of course, every person that's rhythm of life have been severed, they handle it completely different. Completely. Every person is different. Of course we know that. But we also know that, and I'm sure you guys know that, there's these five stages of grief. And I'm just going to mention it quickly to you. One of the stages is denial and isolation. The second is anger. Man, I, if I was strong enough, that door would have had a hole in. But anyway. Another stage is bargaining. Lord, if you, I will, you know. Well, another stage is depression. And, one, and the last stage is acceptance. Now, these stages doesn't happen one after the other and you can't, you know, like this one is going to be two weeks and that one is going to be three weeks and, you know. It happens in different stages for every person and different times. Okay, and timelines. So we can't put a book on that, okay? So, 
And also, I've seen a lot of people not getting to the acceptance part and point. And that's quite heart-wrenching to, to see. But um, I have observed over the years different reactions. Um, some people become workaholics. Some people become over-religious. Others lose their faith completely. They lose their way. And then some, they start serving others. Now in this lies a little key. And here I was thinking, what did, what did Jesus do in a situation like this? Did he have a situation like this? What happened? Obviously I went on to Google, I'm like, yeah, all right. Matthew 14, okay, popped up. And I just wanna give you a bit of a background on Matthew 14, it's quite a loaded chapter. Now the chapter is about where Jesus uh, multiplies the bread and the fish for the crowd and then he sends his disciples away and he wants a bit of solitude and then there's a massive storm and he walks on the water and Peter drowns. It's that, it's that chapter. But the chapter starts with John the Baptist and he's beheading. All right. Now, a bit of background of John the Baptist. He and Jesus, they were cousins. I just remembered it again when I obviously did my little homework. I'm like, oh yeah, you know. And Mary visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth was John's mom. And she was actually at a very old age. I didn't think they were gonna get kids, but she felt pregnant. And when Mary was visiting her, she was around about three to six months pregnant. So I can just imagine, because we don't know a lot of Jesus' childhood, families visit together. The Jews are tight, eh? All right, so obviously I can just see, you know, families visiting together, John and Jesus, you know, drawing together, Maybe being naughty, hey, I think Jesus might have been naughty, I, my, my opinion. Um, but, uh, and he knew John very well. He did life with John. But John was that odd cousin, eh? You know, eating bugs, staying in the wilderness, you know, wearing uh, wild animal clothes. That was, that was John. And he was very, very uh, outspoken. And that's what brought him into trouble because he was very outspoken about the governor. At that stage, the name was Herod. And what Herod did was, he liked his brother's wife. And her name is Herodias. I think her name was the first thing that attracted him, but anyway. Um, so he married his brother's wife. And John spoke out about this and said, hey, this is not right. So what does a governor do? He captured John and he put him in jail. But he didn't dare kill John because the, he, he, you were scared of the people's reaction on that, okay? So because the people said John is a prophet, so he, you know, he just left John in jail. But then as the year went on, it was Herod's birthday, all right? And now you can picture you know, that room where you know, those people lie in the rooms with the tables low and they eat food you know, and there's you know, servants serving them and everything like that. And Herodias' daughter did her dance. You know those belly dances? I'm sure it looked like that, you know, with a skirts and everything, and it says in the Bible, Herod was fascinated with the daughter. And he said to her, I will do anything, what is your wish, I'll do it. She went to her mom, and they obviously cheat, cheat, cheat. She came back, she said, I would love John the Baptist's head on a tray. And that is how John was came to the end of his life. Herod couldn't go against his, his wish he gave, and John was killed. All right, so we take it up from there. Um, on the, 
I'm, I'm being very modern. I'm going on my phone. I don't have, I didn't write it down. I'm usually very old fashioned, but going to your U version, <laughs> uh, Pierre did it for me. He uploaded Matthew 14. I'm just going to read Matthew 14, verse 12 to, to 14. And remember, if you go new version, you go under more, and then you click events, and then third place will be there that says live. And Pierre put a nice picture on. Isn't it fantastic? All right, and Matthew 14, verse 12 to 14, and there's Bibles lying around. You guys can grab one. All right, so let's see how Jesus handles hearing someone that's close to him that he did life worth dying. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, if you've ever been in, in Israel, and if you go to Galilee, the, 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 the sea, it's actually a huge lake. And there, there's a lot of towns around it, but uh, it's, it's the, uh, uh, the width is very short and the length is long. So you can go from one side to the other with a boat, and you can actually see if the boat goes over. All right. So he obviously maybe was in Capernaum, he got into the boat, and he started going over because there's this little hill on the other side with no town. So obviously I think Jesus wanted to go there for solitary confinement. Um, so, um, so, boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So they could see him. So they said, oh, he's going that way, and they started following him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He's just heard his cousin has died. He was seeking a quiet place. But when he got to the other side and saw the crowds, he started serving them. And I think that's so cool. I'll tell you why. After years, I, I lost my mom and dad when other kids didn't lose their mom and dads. So I, I, I'm obviously very observant. And, um, and it's always profound for me the people that have lost someone very close to them, when they start serving outside of them to, to someone else, giving them the year of you know, their, their rhythm coming back, they add so much value to their community around them. And that's why I say it's the key. Take, take a tip from Jesus. Just take a tip there. Just start serving outwards. Don't start too quick, all right? Don't be in denial too quick, hey? But go for it. I mean, uh, the other day, there was a celebrity, Gugu Zulu, that died on Kilimanjaro. His wife, Letsejo, what she's doing, she is carrying on with his charity work. She wants to build a hospital at Kilimanjaro. She's focusing outwards. She's going to be okay, just by the way. Okay. So, yeah. So, for, for us sitting here, if, if I leave you with one thing tonight, with one thing, just that you have a small realization what someone goes through that has lost someone that is very close. And I, I want to explain it to you in this way. Um, someone explained it to me very well. It feels like you're in, in the sea and your feet can't touch the ground. And these waves coming and it's crashing on you. It's dunking you under and you're fighting to get up to the top. You're taking a deep breath and the next wave is on you and you go down again and you go up. And that is how it feels. So the waves keep on coming and they keep on crashing on you. 
but you come up and you get you get air and you and you go on again and what happens later on as your rhythm your severed rhythm starts returning there's still waves don't think the waves stop but they further and further apart and when they crash it's hard you know sometimes i drive in the car it's, it's usually not on a birthday or anything i drive in the car i start crying i have to pull off i have my moment the wave is crashing i regroup again and i go on you know it's it's time but the, the waves do come but they go further and further apart but just know that is the closest i can get to explaining to you what you go through when you lose someone very close all right and then i discovered a poem by maya angelo and i'm just going to read it and end off with the aspect two of death that you just get and at some of the the paragraphs i've also loaded it on the u version um and i'll start there at paragraph number three i don't know what it means through us in engels what's it and there we go now same a, a paragraph okay so i'm there from the third one So Maya Angelou she was um Oprah's mentor. That's where how she fits in but she's also passed. But the 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 poem's name is when uh what? When um big big soul but anyway, I'm stuck with the third paragraph. When big trees fall I think that's that's what it is. When great souls die, the air around us becomes light, rare, sterile. We breathe briefly. Our eyes briefly see with a hurtful clarity our memory suddenly sharpened examines gnaws on kind words unsaid promised walks never taken great souls die and our reality bound to them takes leave of us our souls dependent upon their nurture now shrink wizened our minds formed and informed by their radiance fall away the last paragraph and when a great soul dies after a period peace blooms slowly and always irregularly spaces fill with a kind of soothing electric vibration our senses restored never to be the same whispers to us they existed they existed we can be be and be better for they existed so that brings me to the third aspect of my theme tonight and it's me and you sitting here and we have relationships all around us and i call it sort of a ebb and flow rhythm you know you then you see them then you don't all right but in ordinary time this is where the love jesus love others start kicking in because if you hear of someone that has passed you start flanking these people you're not that close you're not that dilapidated and that you don't feel disabled you feel strong you can flank them and please go and flank them don't run away okay don't run away and um when you flank them it means you just arrive there and please do not try and be a christian cutie or be in a christian bubble and utter words like you know in the first hour or the first day or the first week you utter words to them like it was god's will 
or God needed his favorite flower in heaven. I will punch you in the face. I literally will kick you and punch you in the face if you do that. Do not. Do not. I promise you, if you have, if I have just lost my whole world now and you tell me it is God's will, it will not make any sense to me at that moment. Don't be that person. Because those words might make sense to you and it makes you feel better. But you are not serving the severed rhythm of this person that is hurting deeply. So, serve their rhythm. So I've just tried to give you some insights on what these people are going through, what you go through when you lose your whole life. And um, again, I want to take you back to the Bible. And we're going to read out of John. John 11, from verse 17 to 37. And it's the story of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. And they summoned Jesus because it was going badly with Lazarus. And they knew, but you know, Jesus can do something. And he didn't arrive on time. And let's see. Let's just see what, what, what the Bible says, what, what Jesus did in this time. John 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. You know, it's that Jewish thing, hey? The mourners are there. Minimum 10 people. Lord, oh, sorry. Um, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. You remember Martha? She was the achter lady. You know, she was parat. Remember Martha? She was the one that cleaned the house. She was the hostess. So she heard he's on her way, and there she went. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. One of the grief you know she's in denial you know she's bargaining hey Um, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha answered I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day Jesus said to her I'm the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they died and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And she was actually one of the first that said these words. All right. So, where are we? After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got um, up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I'm going to stop there. What a profound verse. Two words. Jesus wept. And it's very interesting as well how he handled two persons in one family. He knew Martha and he knew Mary. Martha was the one that's, you know, always there and, you know, she's cleaning and she's a hostess and he talked to her in a high level. He gave her those answers. And that's what she needed at that time. When he saw Mary, the one that sits at your feet and just listens, and he saw her weeping, he wept with her. Wasn't that amazing? His sensitivity <coughs> for different, how people handle things differently, his sensitivity, that's very important. So, you know, sometimes when you start flanking these people that have just gone through the worst thing in their lives, the best thing is to cry with them. No words. Hugs. Don't have to cry always, but hugs is massively important. When Murray passed a few weeks ago, his sister at that stage was in Australia with, on holiday. So she only came back on the Friday, two days after her brother passed. And I saw Monique, and we just cried. And all I could say to her is, I'm sorry. And you know what? That was enough of that moment. And also, what else can you do when you flank people? Can you go and buy three-ply tissues? Yes, you can. Can you go and buy a lot? Yes, you can. Can you go and buy little Vaseline tubes? Because you know what? If you blow your nose a lot, it's, it's raw. It's sore. Bring them some Vaseline tubes as well, you know? They cry a lot. They're dehydrated. Bring water, all right? That's what you can do. Actions. Um, you can tell them you will drive them to the funeral house because they're emotional. Drive the car. Just be there. Just keep your mouth shut for a change. Okay. All right. And show up at the funeral. There's a lot of people like, no, I don't do funerals. It's too bad for me. It's not about you, man. Show up. Just show up. I cannot tell you. I can remember each person at my mom's funeral. And I can also remember the people that didn't pitch. I don't have anything against them, but, you know, you remember these things. Show up. That's it. And let them talk. You listen. You listen. And then if they, and they're going to start talking about the person that's just left them. And you know what? The, the conversation goes and funny stories starts happening. Join in with memories of the person. Don't be scared. They're thinking about the person 24-7. Talk about the person. It's actually nice because it feels like a bit of a, an escape. Someone else is talking about the person I've lost. And thank them that they shared this person in life with you. That's the type of conversations you have in the first hour, the first week, the first month. Be sensitive about that. And you know what? Just be honest. Marie's dad, Uncle Bert, he knows I teach here. He knows I love Jesus. And as Marie passed, he came to me and he grabbed me like this. And he just said to me, Dinda, why? And I said to him, Uncle Bert, I don't know why. 
and we just hugged. Because I don't know why. And the thing is, it is not for you to have the answer at that stage. So don't hoi a verse or a little flower thing or a cliche. Just be honest, give hugs. They're in their liminal space. They must figure out how to get back into their rhythm. The Lord will give them their answers. You will just be there to hear it or to appreciate it. But that is your job in ordinary time, flanking these people. Okay, just be there. And it's not about you. It's not. It's about them in liminal space trying to figure out a new rhythm of their life. So, lots of action, little words in that time. And I promise you, <clears throat> even if it sounds like a cliche now, but time does heal. Every minute further and further from the situation makes a massive difference. And like the Jews, maybe, 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 you make a little note of the day the person passed and when it's a year, you hoi that little WhatsApp and you say, I am remembering with you today. Do you know how amazing that is? That someone else is remembering this special person with you a year later. Or even years later, sharing stories that you remember. It is amazing. So in ordinary time, that is loving others. It's going to happen, people. This is life. I know this is a weird thing to, to talk about. Your faces are, you know, I can see some are a bit uncomfortable. Some can hear what I'm talking about, nodding and so forth. But this is going to happen. If it hasn't happened in your life, it's going to happen. And there's just some sensitivity I want to put into you. Flank them, love them, and action that with hugs and tissues and listening. Okay? So... I hope I've brought you some insight into this type of rhythm of life. And um, my biggest hope is that you serve the rhythms in your life around you that you're doing life with. And basically we go back to third place's motto of love Jesus, love others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you surprised me again, Lord, when I read up and I remembered or saw the stories I know over and over, <clears throat> but with the attention of how you handled it. Thank you again for your example. And it is just again the love that you showed us first, that you are just showing to us in the Bible again with, with the stories about you. Lord, thank you that we, we don't understand everything and if stuff like this happens, it's, it's uncomfortable. But thank you that we know you are there. <clears throat> if we're in that sea and the, the waves are coming, we know you are there. And that's, that's it, Lord. Thank you once again that you died on the cross and but that you rose and that we can talk freely here today about you and what you have done. Thank you, Lord, that... You have so much grace for us. I really pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. There's still coffee, and I'm sure there's still muffins left. Hey, okay, enjoy. <laughs>